The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. More information about the church is available at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Now, when we meet someone for the first time, we generally want to know two things about them. First, who are you? And second, what do you do? Now, as to the first, who are you, we can probably figure that out by getting their name, uh, where they're from, who maybe common friends are. But usually we won't, when we want to know what, uh, what do you do, we're thinking of vocation, the kind of things that they do with their lives. And we can employ a similar thing when talking about the Holy Spirit. Last week we saw the who are you portion. And so this morning now we want to find out what does the Holy Spirit do? What is his role? Now, in one sense, the question is unanswerable, because if the Holy Spirit is God, and we know he is, then whatever God the Father does, and whatever God the Son does, he does. But on the other hand, we must also recognize that the Bible emphasizes different activities for each. So what does the Holy Spirit do primarily? Now, we could say that the Spirit is active in most all of the sanctification, rather, of Christians, or the inspiration of the Bible, or providing gifts to the church people. And these things are true, but I think the key answer is found in John chapter 16, verses 13 through 14, where Jesus said, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you so these verses tell us that the primary role of the holy spirit is to glorify jesus christ even if you add up all the things that the spirit does you will find out that the sum total of what he does is geared towards bringing glory to christ so we can learn this right at the very beginning we are told that the holy spirit will not speak of himself but of Jesus, and therefore we can conclude that any emphasis upon me or the person or work of the Spirit that takes away from Jesus Christ is definitely not from the Spirit. So how does the Holy Spirit glorify Christ? Because if you get a hold of this truth, it will change your heart. It will change what really comes from you and, and what, what goes on and how you think things through. So let me give you five ways that the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus Christ. Now, there could be many more, but just for our case this morning. Number one, by teaching about Jesus in the Scriptures. Now, this is deeply involved in Jesus' last discourse, for one of the points Jesus makes is, is that after he was gone the Holy Spirit would lead the disciples into all truth concerning Jesus. And as a result of this, they would be able to preach the true gospel and record infallibly his words in the New Testament and the teachings of Jesus Christ. John 15, verse 26 says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. John 16, verses 12 through 13. I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. 
But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So do you realize how important this is? Do you realize that there is not a situation in your life that you can't get the answers for? Now, now just let that soak in. There is not a situation that comes into your life that God has not provided instruction through the leading of his Holy Spirit as he guides you through his word. Now, this is a tremendous truth for the disciples because they knew that in the Old Testament period, the Holy Spirit came upon certain prophets and kings and other leaders in order to speak through them what would later be recorded as the Old Testament. The central theme of the Old Testament was the coming Messiah. So now they are told that this very same spirit is going to come upon them and guide them in the recording of what is to become the New Testament. 1 Peter 1.21 says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So you and I can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that this book is totally infallible that it is the recordings of Jesus Christ, the literal uh, recordings in the original language. Now, on Wednesday night, we were talking about this big picture that NASA has taken. You've probably seen it. It's supposed to be the biggest picture uh, that's ever been taken, more pixels and more clarity of the universe. And it's just a mass of stars. And then they focus in on one small section And there are so many stars that it it looks like sand on the beach. And yet to know that a grain of sand has more atoms than the stars in that picture. This amazing God, his spirit lives within you. His spirit, if you have accepted him as your personal savior, dwells within your heart this morning. That vastness, that immensity, Jesus gave to us to guide us into all truth. So as you sit here this morning and as we continue to go on in this message, wherever your heart is and whatever is just radiating inside you, sift that through that thought this morning. That the Almighty God is there to guide you in every situation. Number two, the Holy Spirit draws men and women to him. The need to point out here that apart from the activity of the Holy Spirit, no one would ever come to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says the natural person, that's the unsaved person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So it takes the Holy Spirit to give the eyes understanding and the heart understanding to accept. John 3, 3 says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So to be born again, one must have the eyes of their understanding opened up in the illumination of the Spirit. John six forty four says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
So the Holy Spirit is the one that quickens you. He's the one that illumines you. He's the one that gives you understanding. And he's the one that the Father sends to draw you to himself. Now, the next few I want to put under the heading of reproducing Christians. Number three, the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ by reproducing him in believers. Here, the meaning of the word counselor or comforter is of great importance. Unfortunately, our English language has kind of watered down the word comforter to mean kind of a warm blanket, um, sort of wrapping them up in, in a warm blanket or a comforter. And of course, this can certainly be part of the comforting process, like an old quilt that you just snuggle down with and, and feel comfortable. However, the real meaning comes from two Latin words, come, meaning, meaning alongside, and fortis, from which we get our word fortification or strength. Therefore, in this text, comforter is the one who gives you strength. One commentator called it a ramrod down your backbone to make you stand for truth. That's literally what it means. And, and in this case, what we have seen very clearly, a great example is what he did in the life of Peter. Peter, you recall, the night Jesus was betrayed, couldn't even admit to a maiden, a teenage maiden, that he even knew who he was. But yet, on the day of Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit came upon him, Peter stood and preached to the very people that crucified Christ with great power and authority. And he said in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know, This Jesus delivered up according to the determinate plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ and this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, that doesn't sound like the Peter who cowered on the night Jesus was betrayed. So the Holy Spirit gave him a a backbone, gave him the ability to stand strong and proclaim Jesus Christ. Now, that's the Latin word. When we go to the Greek word, the word is parakletos, and it means one who comes alongside. We get the words parallel or parable from the the same root word. In the Latin Vulgate, the word is translated advocatus, which gives our word advocate. So, and it means to come alongside. Ad, to come alongside. Vocatus means to call. So in this usage, he is the one called alongside. We see this in 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So again, not only is God so amazing that he makes a plan for us to be saved, but he knows we're messy. He knows we're weak. Even with his spirit dwelling in us. So to add security to us, the spirit is our advocate. The spirit advocates for you when when things don't go right. And Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And so God looks through this work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and sees us through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
and we're sealed until the day of redemption. Just, just an amazing truth. Number four, he glorifies him by teaching us to pray. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ prays for us. Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, when I was working on this this week, I, I kept looking at that verse and I just kept stopping. I really had a hard time going past this verse because when you realize that Jesus Christ right now, sitting at the right hand of the Father, intercedes for you and I. He knows precisely what we need. He knows precisely the struggling heart. He knows precisely our temptations, our weaknesses, and he, and he intercedes for you and I. I. You know, I think one of the things we fail to do as Christians is to just sit back, get away from everything, and just meditate on the immenseness of what the Lord has set aside for us. An advocate through the Spirit, an intercessor for Jesus Christ, all there to guide us. Why? To glorify God. And the best way you and I can glorify God is living for him, totally surrendered. And so the Spirit longs to work through us and to lead us into all truth. So it's amazing truth that we have. Um, Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, on top of everything else, when you just don't know how to pray, the Spirit's got it. I mean, think about this. Haven't you ever had a situation and you just didn't know how to pray? I mean, you, th- you know what's right, you're not sure what to do, and you just feel lost. You realize that when you get on your knees and cry out to God, the Spirit takes those with groanings that we can't get. In other words, he turns them into God speak, and he presents them to the Father. I mean, start letting this stuff soak in. The Holy Spirit, the God, the third person of the Trinity, lives within us to guide us, to intercede for us, to advocate for us. Oh, and by the way, when you don't know how to pray, he's got that too. What he needs from you and I is complete trust, absolute surrender, and allow him to live through us. That's an immense work that the Holy Spirit does for you and I. And it draws out of us this ability that we don't know how to do on our own to surrender to Christ in a way that brings glory to God. And that is the ultimate purpose of our lives, to bring glory to God. So when you put all this together, what can possibly trouble us? I mean, what is there for us to fear? I'm reminded of Romans 8, 33 through 34 that says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. When you accept Christ as Savior, folks, you are sealed until the day of redemption. And he ever makes intercession for you. 
Romans 8, verses 2 through 4. Now the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled within us. Now notice, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, why not give him all of you? I mean, it is so easy to forget these things. And every day of our lives, we try to make smart decisions, we try to do the right things, and then we might pray. We have an arsenal of power that has been provided for us. And all it takes is giving up. And isn't that the hardest thing to do? To give it up, to surrender to him. But that's the immenseness that he provides for us. Number five, he directs us into Christian service. The Spirit would direct the disciples exactly as Christ had directed them in the past. Acts 13.2, one of the great, great, great examples. It says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them. Can I just be real personal for a minute here? Every one of you has been called to serve God. Every one of you. Not just the preacher, not just the elders, the deacons, not just missionaries, not just musicians, all of us. How many of you have ever taken the time to just stop and say, God, what do you want me to do? You can get the rug pulled out like I did if you want to go that route. But God loves us so much that he wants to enjoy what it's like to serve a living God. And he has given every one of us a call in our lives. We see Paul or Barnabas and Saul, the Spirit separated them for their missionary work. And you'll notice when he did it, when they were worshiping and fasting. In other words, it wasn't big lights and bells and a big thing that happened when they were quiet before the Lord when they were fasting, and when they were worshiping, the Spirit moved. So the Holy Spirit calls you and I and equips us and sets our ministry in motion. So by giving us the Holy Spirit, he reproduces the character of Jesus Christ within us. So what happens when we blow it? Because it does happen. First Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, And do not give the Holy, or do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed until the day of redemption. So we know that we can turn our backs and we can grieve him. But when you think of Galatians 5.16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When you are tempted to fall away, get on your knees and surrender. And the Spirit of God will reward that heart, and he will keep you from sin. 
Ephesians 5.18, Do not be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, or which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, the whole point there is don't be under the influence of something else. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit and let Him guide you. So we can no more sanctify ourselves than we can redeem ourselves. God must do that. But having been made alive by God first, we can resist the Holy Spirit's prodding or we can yield to him and enjoy the Spirit-filled life that Jesus promised. And let me just say this again as clearly as I can. Jesus has promised to you a Spirit-filled life. Do you realize that? Every person in this room who knows Christ as Savior, he has promised you a spirit-filled life. The only thing standing between a spirit-filled life and where you are now is you and your yieldedness. So this brings us to a key part of this whole study of the Holy Spirit. And I think an area that we need to touch on to put things in proper order. And that, first of all, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In order to start with the right understanding, we must point out that the filling of the Holy Spirit is not the same thing as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, let's let the Bible define it. Look at, we'll refer to some passages here of what, what actually occurs here. There are seven of them in the New Testament. Five of these are prophetic in nature. That is, they look forward to the pouring out of God's Spirit upon, in accordance with Old Testament prophecies, such as Isaiah 32.15, Isaiah 44.3, Joel 2.28. The distinctive feature about them is that they are related to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Thus, when we come to the New Testament, there are four occasions that John the Baptist is quoted. Matthew 3.11, Mark 1.7-8, Luke 3.16, and John 1.33. But let me just refer you to one, Matthew 3.11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In the fifth instance, Jesus is quoted as telling the disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.5 For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So what we have here is Jesus instructing them, and you recall Jesus said he had to go back to heaven in order to send the Comforter. This was all part of the greater works that you and I were going to do. Those with Jesus could do great works because Jesus was there, but Jesus was in a very small locale. So by sending the Holy Spirit to indwell his believers, we now have the power of the Godhead to go over all the world and preach and lead people to Christ. But there was about a 50-day lag between the time Jesus left to go back to glory and the Holy Spirit came. And when the Holy Spirit came, they had to know he was there. And so he came with, with the tongue, cloven tongues and fire so that they recognized he was here. After that, everyone who accepts Christ as Savior receives the Holy Spirit. And that's the ministry that continues even to this day. 
Now, in the Greek of these verses, Jesus is called the Baptist or the baptizer because it is his characteristic of his ministry to baptize with the Holy Spirit, just as John was called the Baptist because he baptized with water. The sixth refers to the baptism of the Holy Spirit as historic. Acts eleven sixteen. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And what this is referring to is the gift of the Holy Spirit to the house of Cornelius simultaneously with the belief of these people in Jesus as a result of Paul's, or Peter's preaching. The reference is significant because it shows the, that the Holy Spirit was to be given to Gentiles just as it, was, as it was to be given to Jews. In other words, there was not to be two levels or ranks of Christians within the church. All receive the Holy Spirit. The seventh reference, and this is the most important because it's, teaching, it's a teaching pas- passage rather than a descriptive and therefore gives the doctrine to, upon which all these other passages attach. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So two things immediately strike us about this verse. Number one, the emphasis is on the unity of Christians. The the, uh, Christians at Corinth had allowed their emphasis to be on the spiritual gifts, and it was dividing them. But Paul writes to stress that they are actually one. His key argument is that they have been baptized by one spirit into one body of Christ. And this is very important, and it can be a rebuke to anyone who would allow the emphasis to be on so-called the baptism of the Holy Spirit or something extra that's not for everybody. And this is what he's trying to define here. Secondly, the second emphasis is on the universality of this experience, that it's for all believers. Here, the word all is very decisive. Paul writes that we were all baptized and were all given the same spirit to drink. In other words, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, rather than being something that is a secondary or special experience to some Christians, is actually the initial experience by which they have become Christians in the first place. The Spirit is the seal given to them, and it is the seal that seals them until the day of redemption, Ephesians 4.30. So if you have accepted Christ as Savior, you have the Holy Spirit. Now, what about the filling of the Spirit? Well, we must go on to say that although there is no commandment to be baptized with the Spirit, there is a commandment to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, And do not be drunk with wine, which is debauchery, or which is in excess, depending on your your, uh, translation, but be filled with the Spirit. Much of the confusion in this area uh, is a failure to understand the difference here. And when you look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, when it says, But be filled with the Spirit, the actual Greek, the literal translation is, Be ye being filled. In other words, it's an ongoing process. 
If you could picture a glass, and this has been used quite frequently, a glass that's slightly tilted and you've got a faucet turned on and the water keeps running, it keeps filling. When you turn the water off, part of it goes out and part of the glass is left empty. So it's staying under the spigot. In other words, it's surrendering my life to Christ every single day so the fullness of the Spirit in leading and guiding me. In other words, it's obedience is what it comes down to. To being filled is to trusting and obeying. Now, there are 14 references to fillness or filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not going to go through them all, of course. But four are descriptions of events that occur before Pentecost, and 10 are occurrences after Pentecost. What's, what is characteristic of these references is that those uh, who were filled began to testify about Jesus Christ. So that is, they began to bear witness to Christ. So the mark of a spirit-filled person is one that speaks of Jesus. He will not speak of his own experience or any experience that draws attention to himself, consistent with John 16, 12 through 14. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And this is why, here at Grace, we teach the exchange life. Because when your life is surrendered to Christ and the Holy Spirit takes over, we glorify Christ. He speaks through us. The fullness of the Spirit has full sway in my life. That's what it means. To be filled with the Spirit means He has full control of my life. And I am willing to do anything, say anything, go anywhere He leads me to go. And when you have a body of believers who are sold out to Christ, there are no mountains too high or no valleys too deep because God can use you. And it doesn't have to be someone who's perfect because there's not a person in this room who's perfect. We have all failed. We all have our, our messy things. And we look at some and think they're worse than others, but in God's eyes, they're all the same. And he sent his son to die to pay the price for those things. He sent his son to die for us that when we accept him, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And when we yield to the Spirit, the Spirit fills us and guides us into all truth. So we may conclude from this that the filling with the Holy Spirit is the secret of my successful witness in the church of Jesus Christ today. When we surrender to the Spirit, He is able to work through us and to bear the fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians 5, through 23. And what is that fruit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. There is no law because it's spirit-driven. And folks, when you and I learn to accept the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, when we recognize that we have the Spirit at the point of salvation, and when we're ready to yield to Him and allow Him to fill us, he will take you and I to a, a life that you, you can't even imagine now. The ministries that he will do in and through you. The call that he will put on his life because he can use you. 
yielding to the Spirit and allow him to fill you gives him full sway to work in and through you. And isn't that what we're after? Isn't that what all of us have been called to do? To surrender every part of our lives to Jesus Christ. And that's the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he will work through each one of us in a very different way. All of us have gifts that he's given us because the gifts come from the Holy Spirit. All of us have directions that he can use for us. Many of you will be used in different ministries. Many of you will be able to perform different things because of the grace that he's given you that he can use at that moment to touch somebody. And that's the beauty and the joy of a surrendered life. And so I just pray that all of us this morning would really capture the essence of what Jesus is saying in these passages. He loved you. He sent his son to die for you. He's given you the spirit to guide and to energize you. And by the way, when you give your life to him fully, he will give you a life that brings glory to Jesus Christ. And that is the true success that all of us can strive for. I'm going to close in prayer, and I just remind you that Dick has to second week of that quick announcement, so let's pray. Father, thank you again for, for what you've done, and thank you again for the power of the Holy Spirit. I know many people are afraid. We're, we've been confused about what the Spirit does. Many people shy away and never understand the filling of the Spirit, what you could do through us, why others try to use it for their own personal gain and their own personal reward. Father, help us to just accept the work of the Holy Spirit that we might be used mightily for your glory. I will give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen. Dick.